Welcome back in, everybody, to this third part of this three-part series on the roads of Greater New Orleans with uh, my YouTube colleague Jason Hoffman over at 504 Road Trips. Um, in today's third and final installment, uh, we continued our discussion about some more unbuilt proposals for major highways in the southeastern Louisiana area. Also, we talked about a couple of favorite rural drives of mine in southeastern Louisiana, mainly Highway 23 down through rural Plaquemines Parish and Highway 1 down towards Grand Isle down on the Gulf Coast. And there's some other stuff that came up as well. We also talked about uh, bus rapid transit for those of you who might be interested in that subject. It's all that and a little bit more also in this third and final part of our discussion on Greater New Orleans. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy it. So you bring up Highway 3134, which had it, the original name of that highway was the Lafitte LaRose Highway. And that name comes Yeah, it's from, called something else now, I think. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called now. But the original name is a reference to the original idea behind the highway, which was that you were going to have a divided highway connection between the West Bank suburbs and basically Highway 1 in Lafouche Parish near the town of LaRose. Right, right. And that would have basically followed or shadowed the Intracoastal Waterway the whole way, mm -hmm. presumably as an elevated highway, similar to what the gateway to the Gulf Expressway is today. Yep. Um, and they only built the small piece of it in southern Jefferson Parish there. Um, but you know what's interesting? If you look at where 3134 ends... At the, at the northern terminus of it, at Highway 45, it's basically right where one of the proposed alignments of the Dixie Freeway would have been passing east to west. Huh. And That's then, if, if you want to get even more deep into this, so there was another study that was done in the 1960s for additional Mississippi River bridges because they were thinking... They, this was before they had committed to building the parallel span of the Crescent City Connection, and they were looking into other locations for bridges. Um, the most prominent of these alternate sites to emerge was a site that would have connected Marrero with, uh, I guess you would call this... Um, Uptown. Uptown, yeah. Napoleon Avenue. Yeah. Well, if you just draw a line between Napoleon Avenue and the north end of 3134, where it dumps you today, you basically have a direct connection. Well, Barataria Boulevard, which is 45, and Napoleon line up perfectly. They do, and, yeah, but it wouldn't have been much of a stretch to say, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you can draw a line between Barataria Boulevard um <clears throat> Because it's a straight line from the river to a certain point where it curves, but if you continued that straight line down, it would hit thirty-one, thirty-four. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's cutting through a lot of swampland and residential neighborhoods towards the north part of it. But uh, yeah, that's um, and that's yeah, that's it's inter interesting. I think there might have been a ferry between Barataria Boulevard and Napoleon Avenue at one time. Um, yeah, that 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 sounds familiar yeah i know there was one further upriver, not far upriver from there but a little bit further upriver at west wego that went from like uh audubon park somewhere up in the audubon park area to louisiana street in west wego uh in fact that was probably the most recent ferry that was open that far up uh, but we're still talking 30 40 years ago yeah, because I, I think I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, the uh, the the it looks like the old ferry terminal in West Wego is still there. At the yeah, there is something there. It, it hasn't completely disappeared, but uh, yeah. I think it's a barge terminal now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can see where if you look at Street View at, at an aerial, not Street View. If you look at an aerial, you can see where Sala Avenue crosses the levee, and so does Louisiana Street. 
uh, and the ferry terminal was at one of those. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, so it's it is interesting when you when you look into you know Lafitte LaRose Highway and the Dixie Freeway and all that. There's a heck of a lot of stuff that was built in New mm. Orleans, but there's a heck of a lot of other stuff that never saw the light of day. And right. So it's it's it is interesting to kind of look into the the planning and the engineering what ifs of all this stuff, you know. There's another, there's another highway I want to bring up to you real quick, and that is the Earhart Expressway, which <laughs> which is basically so from. If you're in the CBD of New Orleans, Earhart Boulevard begins more or less right where the Pontchartrain Expressway and Claiborne Avenue come together, and then it kind of heads compass northwest into Jefferson Parish, and at the Parish line it turns into a freeway, which is known as the Earhart Expressway, and that runs, it runs a few miles west until you get to forget the name of the street that it ends at the west end but it, it ends kinda uh, dickery the, avenue yeah it ends dickery is the name yeah it, yep. it ends kind of in the middle of nowhere there it doesn't give you a direct connection to airline highway it doesn't give you a direct connection to the airport or i-10 for that matter over the years there's been ideas floated about extending this highway further west to better connect it with airline or there was one proposal I saw that had it extend all the way out to 310, huh. um, which seemed a bit more ambitious than is realistic. Um, but yeah, so like the Earhart Corridor has kind of been on an island. It's It kind of runs parallel to Airline Highway. So it's it's got some use as sort of like a bypass of that if you're trying to, you know, bypass the commercial district along the highway there. But as I said, at the Orleans Parish line, it, it reverts back into a boulevard. So you're back at a surface level street again, heading back into the CBD. So and there were there were a lot of different ideas floated around for what they wanted to do with this highway in the city of New Orleans too. There was they were never really sure about how to extend the expressway through the parish, through Orleans Parish into the downtown area. And they never really resolved these questions in a convincing way before they just decided to, you know, to hell with it, we'll work on something else <laughs> instead. There was one option that I did see that would have extended the riverfront route from that spiral interchange at the Pontchartrain Expressway and the Greater New Orleans Bridge, you know, there would have been another extension of that along Chapatulas, following the river, down through Audubon, and then back Compass North, or back upriver to Jefferson Parish that way. But I don't think that ever had a snowball's chance in hell of ever, of ever happening. That 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 was what? that was the most complete iteration that I've seen to date. There's an existing rail line they could have followed that could have tied Chapatula Street into the Earhart Expressway, uh, and it just cuts like right across everything there. Yeah, maybe that's uh, what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, it's it runs along the river and then it kind of it it just kind of cuts across the, the very edge of the uptown Carrollton uh, residential area. In fact, there's no, you know, that that's like the end of the residential area. And then it's a straight line across an industrial area, crosses Jefferson Highway, uh, and then it makes a hard left, and then that's the railroad tracks that parallel the existing Earhart Expressway. So if they joined it in there, that would pretty much be the beginning of the limited access portion of the expressway. Now, the big problem with the Earhart Expressway is at the far western end, you know, and it, it's the, what, what we take now to get to Dickery Avenue is really ramps, and there's two three-lane-wide center dead-end stubs, you know, that come off of that thing as if they were going to continue it west. But, I mean, it hits a dense residential area. Uh, they actually built the Jefferson Parish Transportation Department in that right-of-way. Uh, Jefferson Parish Traffic Engineering 
That's all built right in the right of way. So I mean, I guess they've given up on ever extending it. But where the hell would they go with it? Because you know, unless it became part of Dickery Avenue to get it up to Airline, and that's kind of limited access the way that is now. Um, but uh, it just—I don't know. I'd... Yeah, the the most logical options that they looked into was tying it in directly with Airline. That wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, yeah. Tying it in with airline and then in conjunction with that, expanding airline out as far as the airport. Now, I don't know how they would have done that considering how dense the development is in parts of that stretch there. but um, And that's kind of a narrow corridor, although there's a canal alongside of it most of the way. Yeah. All the way to Williams Boulevard, they actually have room to expand. They could double the size of it. They covered up the canal. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. Maybe they were looking into doing something with that. But the, the one of the things that's – one of the other things that I want to touch on is that it's very it, – if you're trying to get from the airport to downtown, it's an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that New Orleans has going against it, I would argue. Um, usually in major cities around the country, it's a, a large, a, a big effort is usually put in to um, providing that connectivity between the airport and at least the, the downtown area of the city. Um, New Orleans is kind of at a disadvantage as far as that goes because the airport is way out at the western fringe of the metro out in Kenner and you have to rely on the well the only the the, the only complete highway that gets you there uh, is I-10 which uh, is a pretty tenuous connection because especially during the week it is and then, you know, with whatever else is going on, um, you know, I-10 is not an ideal connection by any stretch. And, of course, we've already talked about, you know, the fiasco with the the flyover project and all that stuff, which is hopefully going to be resolved finally, permanently. But until that's resolved, then that's a whole other issue. Um so there's been talk over the years in that context about expanding the Earhart Expressway to make that corridor more useful for traffic between the airport and downtown. And the other thing that I want to bring up to you, I don't know if you've been following this, but there's a recent push in the city of New Orleans to introduce bus rapid transit into the city transit network. To go where? Um, so, so let's let's start by defining what bus rapid transit is. So, <clears throat> bus rapid transit, or BRT, as it's often abbreviated, it's kind of like a hybrid between your standard commuter bus line or your standard city bus line, however you like to define that, mm-hmm. and what we would what you would call a commuter rail system. So like in, you know, like in my area in New York City, we have a lot of commuter rail lines, which, you know, it's, it's a heavy rail system that carries, you know, commuter traffic into and out of the downtown area. And there are stations every few miles and, and all that. So it's not like a long distance Amtrak train where there are stations every 50 miles or whatever. It's, it, the stations are spaced every, say, four to five miles. So bus rapid transit kind of takes the commuter rail idea and transfers it to the idea of a bus line. So instead of having a bus stop on every street corner, you'd have a bus stop every half mile or a mile. Mm-hmm. And usually the, the successful BRT systems that exist are built on their own dedicated right-of-way so that they don't mix with the existing street grid traffic. Because one of the things that puts existing bus systems at a disadvantage is that they are very prone to delays of service because they are reliant on the existing street grid to get around, you know, along the course of their route. And if there's, well, you know, it's a city, so there's going to be tie-ups and all that at some point along the way, which is going to cause delays and it's going to cause, you know, extended duration of um 
the time that it takes for you to get from point A to point B. So the idea behind BRT is that you kind of separate, you create a new bus service that is completely separate from the existing road grid so that it can re- it can run on a more reliable schedule. So one of the things that the city of New Orleans is exploring right now is a pair of BRT lines. And I'll up and I'll tell you about these right now because this is one thing that's being studied as we record this in March 2023 and I'm sure it's subject to change right now, but the two lines that they've been looking at are one that extends from the airport to downtown and continuing from downtown out to Algiers. And then the other one would run from Algiers into downtown and then out to New Orleans East in the area of, I guess it would be Reed Boulevard. Hmm. Reed Boulevard and I-10. Now, a lot of this is still, you know, schematics and ideas and there's no official plans that have been drawn up for this kind of thing but if you just were to focus on the airport to downtown to Algiers idea for just a second I think and I felt this for quite a while since I've since I've been in New Orleans for the first time six years ago I always felt that the solution to fixing the I-10 problem was to fully realize the Earhart Expressway corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a BRT line for me now, I'm just I'm talking for myself right now, a BRT line from the airport running along a combination of airline and Earhart Expressway slash Earhart Boulevard into downtown makes a whole lot of sense to me. Furthermore utilizing the Crescent City Connection HOV for this proposal makes a lot of sense. And then connecting it with some sort of transit hub in Algiers along General de Gaulle. That's how you would get, that's how you would make the Algiers connection. Right. Because um, <clears throat> let's be honest, the Crescent City Connection HOV, it's a great idea and concept, but it just has never really worked to its potential. I know you like it because whenever you're whenever you're crossing the river with Carrie, you can jump on it. But um, well, it doesn't really work right. I don't. Think. Well, th- th- this is something. Okay, this did come up very recently, and there was a Facebook group all up in arms because they were talking about reducing the HOV lanes to just uh rapid transit you know meaning school city buses and i'm guessing you know this project that you're talking about um and seems like it would be kind of a waste of the hov lanes to be better i'm just getting rid of them completely but i could understand if they were going to try to do something that's more on a dedicated the thing is that's one third of the bridge is taken up by that hov lane and if that's all they were going to use it for is buses that's that doesn't seem like a good use of that part of the bridge yeah so you know there aren't that many bridges that go across the mississippi river in general right and you're taking one third of the deck space of one of those bridges and you're diverting you're 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 dedicating it to mass transit Right. So in my in my terminology, that's very valuable real estate that you're mm-hmm. now taking away from general people to use for transit purposes. Right. Um, it's a very fair complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the kinds of you know discussions and debates that are being had, not just in New Orleans, but in cities all across the country. Um, and it's something that'll have to be worked out, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they could. I could see it. the the HOV could be one lane, just based on 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 what I've seen. It doesn't go anywhere, you know. It only goes downtown. Not a lot of people are commuting downtown anymore. A lot of the big businesses have moved out of downtown and moved to Jefferson Parish. So I mean, it's the HOV is not useful for getting. Because of where it goes. Uh, that's why it doesn't get that much traffic. 
uh, people coming from Mattery will exit the bridge and then get on the HOV lane just to get past the traffic on the bridge. Um, but the HOV lane could be one lane. One lane per direction, you mean? Well, even just one lane, whether it switches directions in the middle of the day like it does now, or just you know one lane in each direction to where it's constantly operating in both directions, but they could dedicate one lane to transit. Yeah, I think that one of the, you know, I think yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. I think what they would have to do if they wanted to implement a BRT system that ran across the Crescent City Connection HOV, one of the requirements would have to be that they'd have to make that a two-way roadway. Yeah, so and if they the, made it the a most... two-way roadway, then maybe the buses could share it with the HOV commuters. You I know, that sounds a lot more logical to me. Right, you know? right. Because then you would like on the bridge itself, you wouldn't have to do a whole lot except put a new center divider up. Right, just put you'd, a you'd jersey make, barrier. Yeah, you'd have to make improvements at each end. You might have to put new ramps in here and there, but you could make it a lot more. You can make it a two-way facility at all hours without doing yeah. too much. It already has ramps to run both ways. Oh yeah, I mean, but it's it, a reversible... it currently does. You know, it just yeah. doesn't do it at the same time. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. a reversible roadway. So that's, right. That's the point. Yeah, but yeah, like it, like you said, like the the HOV on that bridge was it was designed it, and it was it was a good intention. But it was—it's kind of an antiquated one that they were assuming that the people who would use it were going from Gretna to downtown. Right, well, because at the time there were still four major oil companies that had buildings downtown New Orleans, and now there's none. Yeah, so now people don't do that. People don't commute right. that way anymore. Yep. So the HOV was built into the parallel bridge based on the past commuting patterns, which never translated into the present. So now right. you have this valuable real estate, as I call it, on this bridge that doesn't really get used to the point that it should, mm -hmm. I think. And part of the other problem with this is that they never really, like when you're on the New Orleans side of the bridge, it does it dumps you off onto the local streets. Like you don't have the opportunity to rejoin the freeway system right. on the other right. side. And that's a big issue also. That's part of the reason why that, I, I actually think that's a big part of the reason why it doesn't get used as much as it does. But you know what it does do? It puts you off on Earhart Boulevard. Tell and me more about Earhart Boulevard. Well, I mean, that's what I've used it for in the past, is if I wanted to get out to Mattery, well, it doesn't put you on the I-10. There's no easy way to get on the I-10 from the HOV, but you just go straight up Earhart Boulevard, and you get on the Earhart Expressway, and you end up in Mattery. You know, and typically you get off yeah. at Clearview Parkway, because that's the, you know, the quickest way to get to, you can take Clearview Parkway and get back to I-10 in five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but that is that that is one of the things with Earhart Boulevard is the H O the H O V puts you out on Earhart. Right. Now you've got about a mile and a half of Earhart Boulevard that surface streets with uh I would say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably nine you know, uh signaled intersections that you have to get through. Now you'll probably catch green lights at half of them, but uh you know, some of them are kind of a pain because there's like where Jefferson Davis and I think Washington Avenue, they kind of form a triangle oh, with Earhart yeah, Boulevard, yeah. and you never get both lights green. So you end up getting stuck there for a few minutes. Um, you cross Carrollton, that's going to always be a little bit of a hang-up. Once you get past Carrollton, though, it's it's you go into a residential area, and then you hit the elevated part, and... and um, yeah, you're free clear after that. Yeah, and I mean, when it's not rush hour, you could hit Earhart Boulevard from where the HOV ends and be on the expressway in three or four minutes uh, if you are willing to, you know, push the speed limit because a lot of they they fixed it recently, but at one time the road was so bad that you couldn't go much over twenty miles an hour. 
uh, you were dodging potholes. If you knew where the potholes were, you could go a little bit faster than that. But uh, they've, they've made it a lot better now. Uh, but, yeah, you could probably cover it in three or four minutes if you caught all the lights green. Yeah. Um, but that's what I've used it for. I've either hit Earhart all the way or hit Claiborne Avenue to head uptown if I was going that way. But that's the only time I've ever really found it useful because the last time I had to go downtown for anything on a regular basis was in the mid-90s. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, so you can kind of see where the idea of a bus rapid transit line along Earhart slash the boulevard and then Crescent City connection over to General de Gaulle, that, that has some... I mean, the, yeah, that that has. Yeah, some, that that's that's valid. I think. Yeah, I think that that's a corridor that would get a lot of use, frankly. Yeah, I as long as they about, don't kill the HOV lanes for regular commuters. Yeah, as long as they're able to figure that part of it out, which yep. I, I actually don't think would be that difficult. But um, so I think the airport downtown Algiers BRT line has some promise to it. I don't know about the New Orleans East idea um, because that's that line would rely a lot more on the existing highway and street grid, which as I said, is it kind of defeats the purpose of the whole bus rapid transit concept as it is. Um, And then there's, of course, you know, there's, there's the typical I 10 choke point of the high rise bridge. And then there's, Mm -hmm. then you're relying on the street grid as you come down through the seventh ward and Treme and down that way. So I, I don't know how, but that that seems to be the one line out of the two that they're really trying to push right now in the study phase. So we shall stay tuned on that and see what happens. It'll be interesting to see because New Orleans does not have a bus rapid transit corridor of any type. It's one of the few big cities in America that doesn't have anything like that at this point. So it's an, it's something that the areas still learning a lot about and there's still a lot of growing pains to come i'm sure but i'm i'm interested to see where this goes in the future years right yeah so and baton rouge is working on something like that too and then there's been a recent announcement about rail between new orleans and baton rouge which is something that's never existed uh so if new orleans could come up with something like that and they could have a rail connection between new orleans and baton rouge and they're bus rapid transit which is capital region areas crap something i I forget what it's called but uh cats capital area transit system Mm. uh that's what they're calling it uh but uh if, if they could get all of that going at one time then that you know i mean that that would be a big improvement for all kind of different things because I mean, hell, Carrie, Carrie had to quit going to LSU because she couldn't handle the commute. And that was something we always said that we wish there was a train that ran between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Carrie and there, there wasn't. We haven't mentioned Carrie during this conversation. She's right. a significant other. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and she was a student at LSU uh, going for an engineering degree. And, um, well, she was in a severe car accident that kind of put her out, but she was going to try to go back to school, but she just could not handle driving from New Orleans to Baton Rouge every day, and so she eventually had to just, you know, she just dropped out. Um, and, uh, you know, we looked into shuttles, and they had different shuttles, but they weren't very reliable, and, you know, a commuter train between New Orleans and Baton Rouge would have been extremely helpful in that situation. There's a lot of people that live in New Orleans and go to school up at LSU. Yeah, it's not that uh, far. That, it's no, not it's not. It's it's yeah. it's about an hour. But uh, in you know, if on a train, it shouldn't be more than an hour. Uh, but you know, a lot of people might go to school in Baton in, at LSU and don't want to spend. Eighteen hundred dollars a month on an apartment, or have to share with six other people and still pay four or five hundred dollars a month. You know, whereas you could take a train for what eight ten dollars a day. I mean, the Amtrak to Picayune, Mississippi, is less than twenty dollars. So, you know, it shouldn't be too expensive to get to Baton Rouge by train. Yeah, especially if you had commuter plans or whatever. Yeah, you, right. you save money that way. 
Yeah. I mean, think Long Island Railroad. You know, what does that cost? Well, at the, New York City is everything's getting more expensive up. Well, there, yeah. But, yeah, but it, it it wouldn't be nearly as expensive down your way. Yeah. New York City is just like an endless money pit. So. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it surprised me that there wasn't a direct rail link between those two cities. I would think that of the two cities in Louisiana, you would want to connect by rail. Those would be the two. Right. Uh, but the thing is, is the trains that go west uh, across the Huey Long Bridge and go to the, you know, come to the West Bank, uh, trains that go east, you know, the Sunset Limited used to run uh, along the coast, and they're actually getting ready to start that back up. And the Crescent runs up through Slide L up towards Washington, D.C., and eventually New York. So, I mean, there's never been, well, the city of New Orleans. But the city of New Orleans goes due north. It doesn't go to Baton Rouge because Baton Rouge is kind of to the west. It goes up I-55. Right, right, pretty much. It follows I-55 up um, pretty much to Memphis and then beyond Memphis. Eventually, it's alongside I-55 again because it eventually hits Chicago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there is nothing that goes because Baton Rouge, I guess, is kind of northwest. I gotta look at a map kinda, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of northwest, uh, and no rail lines go that way. I mean, I guess they do have rail lines. They're not put. They're not building new rail lines to do it. But uh, no passenger rail is ever going that way. They've never thought to put a passenger train out that way, which is nope. which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like been a, it's one of those black holes of transit that yeah it you is. think would have been filled years ago, but it, it's still kind of sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that the rail proposal, and then also the new, you know, the flavor of the month bus rapid transit proposals yep. that are floating around the New Orleans planning offices and all that these days uh, so yep. that'll be that'll be fun to track in the months and the years ahead well while we're on the subject of new orleans bridges and highways and stuff like that we can't do an episode about new orleans without talking about the huey long bridge which is one of the two mississippi river crossings in the new orleans area it was the first one of the two that was built it was built in the 1930s and when I drove it in 2017, it was a completely different structure, at least in terms of the roadway experience, than it was when it opened. Jason, you remember the old experience with this bridge, how it was a much narrower roadway, and it was a much more harrowing experience from what I, from what I can recall from people saying uh, about it. But uh, did you have, I mean, you obviously experienced the old configuration of that bridge. Um, I don't, I don't know that you ever filmed it though for your channel, but that yes, that was... I, I did actually. Oh, um, you did. Okay. I happened to have, and this was long before I was on YouTube, but I happened to have video of that bridge from 2012, uh, which is before they did the widening, and uh, it is up on YouTube. Um, something I posted, something probably about three years ago. I found the the footage and I posted it. Uh, it was a very very different bridge. Um, it was, uh, it had like, I think it was two nine foot lanes, uh, with no kind of shoulder. You know, you had a white line on the right painted almost up against the curb and a yellow line on the left painted almost up against the curb. And, um, you could, you could drive two cars side by side, uh, and pass, but they had a lot of truck traffic on the bridge and you could not pass a truck. Uh, there just wasn't enough room, and the trucks tended to take up a lane and a half just because they didn't want to be riding right along the very edge of the bridge. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was very different, and there was actually a spot, as you got over the east the east bank of the river, uh, like right over the levee, there was a jog that the whole bridge shifted, uh, I believe it was to the left, about two feet. And it was a really abrupt jog. And the the rumor always was that when they built the bridge, uh, the engineers screwed up the calculations. And when they went to join the two halves together, they were off by a couple of feet. So they just, you know, 
they patched it and uh, this was on the bridge heading towards the east bank i don't know if i don't remember the bridge going to the west bank being that way it was just i think it was just the one going to the east bank but if you were in that right lane and somebody was alongside of you and you were hugging that curb it was pretty unnerving to have suddenly have to swerve to the left and hope that the guy to your left also did the same thing uh it, it was but I mean, I guess for its time, you know, nineteen thirty something, um, they they really it, it was a whole new experience building a bridge like that. It, I don't think there were any other bridges like that anywhere in the world, or if there were, you know, they probably you know had never seen them. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny because you know we look at that old configuration and how antiquated it was, but it really was advanced engineering for 1930 right it was designed and it was designed originally just as a railroad bridge they put the roadway in as an afterthought Mm -hmm. they kind of designed the structure to support the railroad configuration and somewhere along the way they decided it was a good idea to incorporate lanes for automobiles so they kind of designed it so that they could just strap on the roadway to the sides of the of the steel superstructure. And that's kind of how they ended up putting it together. Um, worked pretty well for 1935, but it was not very, it was not a very good configuration by the time you even got to the 1960s and we were building freeways and all that stuff. It just was not, it was not a good configuration. It was it was built for the Model Ts and, and, and vehicles that were never likely to go over 25 miles an hour. Uh, it, it wasn't built for high speed traffic, you know. Which by the by the 50s and you started getting those big cars in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they they were not built for those big cars. They were they were built for little Model Ts and stuff like that. Yeah, and so the. The reconstruction that they did about 10 years ago was a, a pretty significant engineering undertaking in itself because they managed to basically build a new bridge, you know, outside the limits of the one that was already there. They just incorporated the original superstructure into the new one. So you basically had the widening of the existing superstructure, which could only happen after you basically widened and replaced the original foundations in the river um, so that they could support the weight of the new structure on top of it. Um, really interesting engineering. I mean, again, it's, it's, a, it's a nice bridge to drive nowadays. I wish I had a dash cam, and I wish I could have driven the old one like 20 years ago or so, but um, the new one came out pretty good. It really did, and and you'd never know that it was like it. There's no remnant of the way it used to be. Not really. No. Even though the original lanes, as far as I know, the original lanes are part of the structure. They just they they fused them together and probably you know paved over them to, you know, give it a new surface. But um, while the new bridge was under construction, the old bridge was open the entire time, and you could be driving along the old lanes, and outside of the old lanes, they had added the new lanes on. Um, I don't know whether they were attached or whether they were just sitting on top of the pilings that go down to the river or what, but the the new lanes were built outside of the old lanes, and you could look over to the right and see them. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember that. I, I, I don't cross that bridge all that often. So I probably never crossed it once during the transition of when they, you know, moved the traffic from the old lanes to the new lanes. So so I don't really know how they did that. I never saw that. Uh, But I know just, you know, one day there was a new bridge there. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it it came out really well. And, you know, I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm a little disappointed that they got rid of the old harrowing experience because that's, yeah. that's something that's just left now for archival footage and all that. But uh, you can kind of still experience it on one of the other Huey Long bridges up in Baton Rouge. The one in Baton Rouge isn't nearly as narrow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't involve the curve that the the one in New Orleans has, but it is kind of a similar experience. Yeah, that that's that it does kind of get you close to that old experience because they right. haven't they've never actually gone back and done the same thing to that bridge. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, so that's 
All right, we'll call that a day with Huey Longstuff, and we'll move on to... Well, we'll do Highway 23, and then we'll see if we can bleed that into Highway 1 discussion. Just take okay. one section here. Well, I was mentioning earlier the um, you know the drive out east. Like, if you were to go out Highway 46 out you know to eastern St. Bernard Parish, and you get outside the levee system, and you can see how quickly it gets very remote out that way. But one, there's another drive that I really like down in the outer parishes, you know, this one being south of New Orleans, and that is if you take Highway 23 out from the West Bank suburbs and out through Bell Chase, and then you follow it along the river all the way down to, basically it gets you within a few miles of the official mouth of the Mississippi River at the head of passes um, in Venice. Um, that's an interesting drive that when I first did it in 2017, I it was one of those things that I really wanted to do when I got there got into town it was like one of those first things look i gotta i gotta take the highway down to the mouth of the mississippi river just to see what it's like um it's an interesting experience um and that in there are a couple of things that stood out to me one of the one of the weirder things is that when as you go down along the levee as you work your way south it's, I think in at times it's more pronounced if you follow Highway 39, which is the highway on the opposite bank of the river down that way. But you also kind of get this treatment on Highway 23, where if the river is high enough, you can see the ships coming up the river and the ships are above you <laughs> on the yeah. highway, which is really disorienting because you, you don't really realize what's going on necessarily. But... Um, it's a site that's unique, that's for sure. You don't have that stuff up in the Northeast. We're, we don't have levees and all that stuff up where we are. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting site, for sure. And then also, you know, Lower Plaquemines Parish, as you make your way further downriver towards, you know, the towns of Burris and Empire, and as you make your way eventually down to Venice, um, you yeah, that's where some of the really old, you know, Cajun settlements really started down that way, I think. And um, some of that They're not is... really Cajuns down there. Okay, uh, would you like to clarify that? Well, yeah, I, I, I can, because half of my family is Cajun, and half of my family came from Lower Plaquemines Parish. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the people who originally settled Lower Plaquemines Parish... Uh, well, one of the original people's name was Burat, B-U-R-A-T, uh, which, you know, through the process of immigration and people not speaking the same language, that name got changed to Buras, B-U-R-A-S, which is the name of one of the settlements down there. And uh, that's, uh, I'm actually a descendant of that original Buras. Um, the people who settled Lower Plaquemines came from France, and Croatia, and um, they the Cajuns on the other hand uh, were up in Canada, and they were all Catholic Cajuns who were exiled from Canada because they were Catholic, and they all ended up down in Cajun country, which is in southwest Louisiana, or kind of central Louisiana, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so my my father's family came from a town called. Church Point, which is uh, in southwest Louisiana, and they were Cajuns. Uh, so that's that's the difference. And the, the people that, the French-speaking people that were from Lower Plaquemines speak a different French than the Cajuns speak. See, I figured it would have all been the same thing, but it is, there are differences between the two. Right, yeah, and it's just because the Cajuns came through Canada, and the in the in the French from Plaquemines Parish came directly from. They actually came from a place called Alsace Lorraine, which is mm. somewhere between France and Germany, and it was like an independent state or something like that. And a lot of the people that immigrated to the United States back then, and we're talking like I guess late late seventeen hundreds came through there, uh, it was kind of like a processing point. They went from there to Ellis Island, and then mm -hmm. uh, they came down the Atlantic coast and into the Gulf of Mexico, and 
to the mouth of the Mississippi River, and that was how the people from Plaquemines Parish wound up there. So that's why you had the mix of the French and the Croats down there. Um, it, it that was um, that was just the ones that I guess came on a ship at some point, um, and uh, and and ended up down there, and they they formed and. Um, you know, later on, other industries got involved, you know, with the sulfur industry and, and oil field stuff like that. And, uh, of course, fishing. Uh, yeah. You know, there's all kind of, you know, you got crabs and, and all the fish and shrimp and oysters and everything that you get from the Gulf of Mexico, and you got easy access to it down there. Uh, so that that was why that was such a strong place to be down there plus you got the rich soil from the mississippi river the silt that gets carried down and so it's good farmland uh they grew a lot of um pumpkins and watermelons and that kind of thing down there uh tomatoes uh, a lot of that got ruined by hurricane katrina because of the contaminants that got into the soil they said that the pumpkins and watermelons you cut them open and there was just this nasty black stuff in them and (laughs) i don't know how much of that's even being grown down there anymore yeah well katrina wiped out a lot of stuff down that way yeah Um, yeah there's not there's not nearly as much down there as there was and uh you took the trip down there in what 17 yeah my first trip down there was in 17 yeah okay so I took a ride down there, I guess in 20 or 21. I think it was during the pandemic. And one day I just set up the camera and drove down there. And that was probably only the second time I'd ever been all the way down to the end. Uh, And it was the first time I'd even been down to like Burris or Port Sulphur in 25 years. And it, it looks very, very different than it did. Uh, a lot of a lot of structures were destroyed and never rebuilt. So you got a lot of empty land, mm-hmm. but uh, and it's mainly to the west side of the highway because uh, you got like marsh there and it goes into all these waterways and stuff that eventually goes into the Gulf of Mexico. But that's all. A lot of that has eroded and there's just mm-hmm. not that much left out there anymore. Well, they're saying that coastal Louisiana is losing a football field of land every hour because oh of, is it is it that of, little <laughs> well that's what they're I thought saying. it was more than that. that's what the number is anyway well I mean if you I guess a football field every hour if you add that up over several years it adds up to a lot but yeah and but, and, uh, and you got two things that are happening you've got erosion you know just from the waters of the Gulf of Mexico and anytime there's any kind of storm surge uh, you know, from a from a hurricane in the Gulf or tro- any kind of tropical system in the Gulf, you get a lot of erosion, and southeast Louisiana is sinking uh, relative to sea level, and uh, that's you know, I mean, that's that's been an ongoing problem for a long time, and not really a whole lot you can do about that. There's different programs they can use to try and and, and slow down the erosion, uh, but. You know, when the entire plate is sinking, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Not really. I mean, it, it's actually, it, yeah, I mean, there's there's not, as you said, there's not a whole lot left in some of these towns. Like, I took a drive on the old highway through Beerus uh, in mm-hmm. 2023 when I was down there. And um, the municipal auditorium building yeah. is still there. Yep. Um, but it hasn't been occupied since before Katrina. It's still, it's just a hollow shell at this point. Right. Um, they did build a new water tower. As yeah, I saw the new water yeah. tower. Because yeah. the, the, the old, the, the collapsed old water tower was one of the iconic pictures of Katrina's aftermath down that way. Oh, yeah. Um, so they did replace the water tower, but the old auditorium is still there. Um, not, you know, it hasn't been rebuilt yet. But a lot of a lot of stuff, as you said, hasn't really been rebuilt. Um, Venice, Venice, kind of. I mean, it's it's like a little dot on a map. There's, I think, there's a couple hundred people living there now, but there used to be a lot more than that. And Venice used to be the not the last town on the Mississippi. There used to be another settlement that was only accessible by boat. I'm sure you remember Pilot Town. Yeah, Pilot Town is actually. If you can call it on the east bank, because it's not really, 
I mean, I guess that's still on the river, but it's kind of like out in the Gulf. It's really in where where the water starts to just scatter. It's no longer flowing in a single channel. Uh, and Pilot Town um, was developed specifically for the river pilots. Uh, it was a Crescent uh, Crescent Riverport Pilots Association. Um, the river pilots and their families lived down there at least part-time. Well, at one time they lived down there full-time, and then later on they didn't, and they were just down there part-time. It was kind of like quarters to stay down there between the ships. Mm-hmm. And for anybody not familiar with uh, river pilots, um, when a ship, whether it be a freighter or a cruise ship or anything that comes up the river, uh you know, and they come from these foreign ports and stuff, stuff like that. The captain of the ship uh, does not have the experience to be able to navigate the Mississippi River. That's something that's a very, uh, it's a very detailed knowledge you have to have in order to be able to navigate the Mississippi River. And so they have... Uh, the river pilots and they're part of an association and they get hired whenever a ship wants to come up the river, they get hired to get onto the ship and, uh, and pilot the boat up the river. And, uh, I remember I didn't really know anything about this, although I had an aunt that worked for Crescent Riverport pilots, uh, for years. Um, I didn't really know how that worked until I took a cruise that went out the mouth of the Mississippi river. And we actually watched, as um, uh, as we got to the mouth of the river, and this was going out, the a tender boat came up alongside the the cruise ship, and the river pilot that that had been on the the ship since we left New Orleans, I don't remember exactly how. I don't know whether they stuck out a little gangplank or whatever for him to walk down onto the tender boat, but that was where he exited the ship and. You know, I, I don't know whether they went to Pilot Town because they do still have a couple of buildings in Pilot Town, but I don't really know if they're in use anymore. Um, I mean, at one time they had a, it, it has a zip code. Uh, there, there is a building that you can see, and there's little you can see the tender boats docked at the at a little wharf down there. Um, at one time, it had a school, so you know the pilots and their families did live down there at one time. But it's mostly just um, it, there were little camps along a boardwalk. Yeah, that's the impression that I get. Yeah, but it was a permanent settlement of some sort. It had the infrastructure to sustain itself. Yeah, at one time um, it was. Yeah, and I get that was probably all still there until Katrina, and Katrina really did a number on it and really eroded away everything that was left. Yeah, yeah that's my understanding. That Katrina basically wiped out any chance of a permanent settlement there. So the, the River Pilots community relocated to Venice, uh, which is where they are today. Um, Venice, which the locals like to call the end of the world because it is the southernmost point on the river that you can drive to. Um, and there is a sign on the side of the road. If you if you make it all the way south, you can see it's, you know, welcome to... What does that say? It says southernmost point in Louisiana or something like that. Yeah, which, you know, that's not really... Uh, <laughs> that's not that's, that's not, not really true. That's not quite true, no. No. But it is the southernmost point that you can drive on the Mississippi from Minnesota all the way to the Gulf Coast. Right. right. Um, the southernmost point you can drive to in Louisiana is a little bit further west than that. Um, off of Highway 1 in Port Fouchon. Which is another interesting drive that I came down to do. Um, that's another drive that I think people should experience. Is Highway 1 from, say, US 90 all the way out to Grand Isle. Um, enjoy it while you can, because it's Grand Isle has been in the news lately, as they're, they're gradually losing land and because of the, the hurricanes that keep coming in. And when I was down there in 23... Yeah, they were. There were some people who were rebuilding, but a lot of people were choosing not to rebuild and move inland. Um, so, you know, I wonder how much longer Grand Isle has. But Highway One as a drive is kind of interesting because as you get further south, um, the highway follows Bayou Lafourche the whole way, more or less. And then as you reach the Gulf, it becomes an elevated 
causeway, known as the Gateway to the Gulf Expressway, um, which is a toll bridge. It's one of one of the only toll facilities in Louisiana at this point. Um, and that's an interesting experience to drive. There's a high-level bridge part as you go past Leeville that gives you a nice view on a clear day of Port Fouchon, and you can see Grand Isle, and you can see all the oil platforms out in the Gulf um, just offshore. Um, again, it's a unique experience that you don't really get to see that often, I would say. No, prior to it, what what you missed, and, and I think you've probably driven the old highway, uh, it, it was a much more interesting drive. And, of course, I know you like bridges, so, you know, Gateway to the Gulf was an experience for you. Uh, I, I thought it was a more interesting drive before the Gateway to the Gulf. Uh, back in the 90s, I used to go down there a lot, and that was long before that was even – I mean, I think they were talking about that, but they, they weren't anywhere near actually building it. And – you actually drove through Leeville over a little drawbridge that crossed the bayou, and um, that's like that whole area is just gone. That was completely wiped out in Hurricane Katrina. But from south of Leeville down to the southern end of the gateway to the Gulf, you can actually still drive the old highway. It doesn't really go anywhere anymore, uh, but they have a lot of uh, oil field type stuff still on the old highway. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot faster with the elevated expressway there uh, than it used to be because you get long lines of cars with somebody going 35 miles an hour and you were stuck because there's so many curves in that road you really couldn't pass. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a faster drive now, but I thought it was more interesting back then to drive the old highway. Of course, I always like to drive the old highways no matter what. But, um, yeah, now it's a straight shot, and I don't remember what the speed limit is up there, but I'm sure you can get away with 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it probably takes 20 minutes off that trip. Yeah, I know, uh, it's, it, now, I know it's about 10 minutes just to get from Leeville to the port. and that, Right, yeah, and that, it used to be more like a half hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was a slow drive. There was always somebody going 35 miles an hour that was just holding up traffic, so you'd have a parade. <laughs> uh, now, looking at the map, the uh, where the gateway to the Gulf Elevated Expressway ends and connects with LA 3090 and LA, you know, LA1 that goes to Grand Isle, that is actually further south than that sign in Venice uh, by a tenth of a degree. Mm -hmm. That's how much further south. And you can actually continue, and I believe you did this, uh, down 3090 to the very end of it, and um, that is the southernmost point in Louisiana you can drive to. And um, that's that's two-tenths of a degree further south than that point in Venice. Yeah, you used to be able to go further south than you're able to now because I think Hurricane Ida wiped out one of the bridges over the canal there. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm looking at that right now, yeah. Yeah, there used to be another bridge that you could go over to take you further down to whatever that barrier island is. Yeah, you could actually get all the way to Elmer's Island Beach, uh, or well, they call it Port Fouchon Beach, but... That actually connects with Elmer's Island Beach, which is almost right at the town of Grand Isle. There's a there's a road, there's a toll road you can take from LA One. It's a private road uh, to Elmer's Island Beach, mm. and that probably connected with Grand Isle at one time, but now it's like a separate um, a separate barrier island now. Yeah. But yeah, I have seen pictures of the old Leeville Bridge. The old, mm-hmm. uh, the old lift bridge that used yeah. to be there. And, yeah, I would say that that one has a lot more character to it than what's there now. The, the, new, the, the existing bridge there now is a really ordinary, plain-looking thing. Whereas, it's very utilitarian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, another thing about that old Leeville Bridge was, as you crossed, whatever that is you crossed, I guess that's, yeah, that's the bayou, when you would cross the bayou and touch down on the east side, uh, you know, going south on LA-1, but you really heading east when you cross that bridge, there was a cemetery 
uh, the Leeville Cemetery right there where the bridge touched down, and that whole cemetery got washed away in Hurricane Katrina. It's gone. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, so the graves and everything are gone. Well, yeah, I know that that's one of the reasons why they were motivated to build the expressway in the first place is because they're afraid of hurricanes just washing out the whole, the whole highway between right. Grand Isle and the mainland. So the existing highway that's there has been around for, what, 10, 15 years maybe? Something like that? Uh, I don't know whether it was there before. I don't think, I don't know whether they had started it before Katrina or whether the whole thing happened after Katrina, there was about a 10-year period that I didn't go down there, and so it was like the new bridge didn't exist, and then it was the only way down there uh, for me. Yeah. Actually, it's probably a 20-year period I didn't go down there. Yeah, so they snuck it in when you weren't looking. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it says it opened in 2009. Okay. So they probably started it. I would imagine they started it before Katrina. Prior to 2009, the last time I was down in Grand Isle was in 2003. And I never, I, I didn't get back down there until like 2018, I think. Yeah. 2017, 2018. Whenever I did the video, uh, you know, that I put on YouTube, uh, whenever, whenever I did that video was the first time I had been down there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they would have snuck it in there. Yeah, before, yeah, like start visits. to finish. Yeah. Well, now they're working on the next phase of that road. Right, and that's um, good. I'll they, probably make it down there at some point after that's finished. It'll be another. Well, it'll be another few years at least. But yeah, they are. They have started it. Um, and this next section is going to take the elevated highway from Leeville up to Golden Meadow. Right. So it'll be. So you'll, it'll be a completely elevated highway outside of the levee system. Yeah, and that's where it's going to cut like half hour, 45 minutes off the drive to Grand Isle. If they would only finish the Lafitte-LaRose Highway to LaRose, you know, yeah. that, that would be like, that would make a trip from my house to Grand Isle like an hour instead of two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because like when you follow Highway One, you're stuck going through all those little towns with a speed limit of thirty, and the cops looking to pull you over for going thirty-two. So, yep. like yep. It, it's a slow... well, Grand Isle, you know. I mean, not Grand Isle. Golden Meadow is the worst. It's twenty-five on LA One. Yeah, they do have the back highway that you can go like forty-five on, but you don't want to go forty-six either. Well, yeah, they will it's... stop you. Yeah, they'll stop you on that road too. Yeah. Well, Jason, it's been. It's been a lot of fun having you. We've covered a yeah. ton of ground here just in the New Orleans metro. There's a lot of stuff that I'd like to talk to you about uh, outside of New Orleans metro at some point. But uh, it's been really great having you on the podcast. Your first appearance on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so finally good to have you on that. And uh, I really would like to thank you a lot for uh, joining me today for this uh, extended conversation about southeast Louisiana. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's it's been an experience. Well, <laughs> Never done a podcast for anybody before, so uh, yeah. I think we'll wrap this up here. So thank you again to Jason from the YouTube channel Five Hundred Four Road Trips. You can find him there. Uh, he's got new content coming out on a pretty regular basis. Um, so feel free to check him out there. Subscribe and do all that good stuff. Um, and you can follow me on YouTube. My YouTube panel is Roadway Wiz. Well, you should already know that after <laughs> all the shows I've done on this podcast. You you know you know where to find me already. You've been listening to the Gribble Nation Roadcast on Spotify or wherever you can get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to seeing you again right back here for the next one. So until then, take care, happy travels, and we'll see you next time. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, how do you watch that? I mean, yeah, I don't want to hear about these pitches. The first eight questions last night. Well, what'd you think? Well, are you amazed? Are you amazed that he threw 97? Are you amazed that he. Sh they stink!